The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York, and here is your top five at five. Could it be an end to the war? Investors feeling a bit bullish as Russia and Ukraine begin a new round of ceasefire talks. Many of Moscow's ultimatums are now in the rearview mirror. Still, call it a financial canary in a coal mine. What just happened in markets are getting some people a bit nervous. The end of an era. FedEx founder and CEO Fred Smith says he will step aside and look at Smith's legacy and what's ahead. Plus, are millions more families about to be thrown into poverty over higher energy costs? The shocking stats on how much higher power bills are really going to bite. And later, an energy sector bear? That's right, why Kerry Firestone is showing no more love for oil stocks, despite some of their big recent gains. It is Tuesday, March 29th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. By the way, it's 23 degrees in New Jersey. Feels less than that, so happy March 48th, everybody. Anyway, there is some optimism out there this morning that maybe, just maybe, the world can get an end to the war in Ukraine sooner than later. We'll get more on that in moments, but that hope is trickling into stocks this morning. Futures there are higher across the board, up about two to three-tenths of a percent. But it is not all about Ukraine. There is a ton of economic data out this week as well. And today's big economic release is the March consumer confidence number. Now, that number actually fell slightly in February, but keep in mind, there's really two different markets here. This number is really going to be the first true month where we see how people feel after that second leg of inflation hit, following Putin's invasion. So remember, most of the other economic data we saw, that is prior to that second leg up. This is going to be one of the first releases that we start to see that new round begin to hit. Could be very closely followed. Anyway, in bonds, something potentially very important just happened as well. The five-year yield on Monday actually hit the same rate, well, actually ticked a little bit higher than the rate on the 30-year bond. That is very rare. And while it is not looked at as important as a financial indicator as, say, the 2- and 10-year spread, that is something to keep an eye on. Also, checking oil. Oil got absolutely leveled yesterday on China's new COVID lockdowns. Crude losing at one point more than $10 a barrel, one of its worst dollar drops ever, but only its 27th worst on a percentage basis. This morning, oil is firming back up just a bit. Back above 106, still well off its intraday high when it hit 125 bucks just a couple of weeks ago. All right, let's get now a check on the early action overseas with a lot of buyers coming into the markets as hope grows that Putin may soon agree to end his war and go home. And he's got all the major indexes, or most of them anyway, higher today. Juliana Tatabam is in our London newsroom with more on that. Juliana, good morning. 
Brian, good morning. That's right. European equity investors are putting more money to work in the market. We've got green across the board. A broad-based rally taking place in Europe today, building on yesterday's more modest gains. The stock 600 ended just over 10 basis points higher yesterday, so clearly nothing compared to the magnitude of the buying we're seeing this morning. The French market is up about 1.7 percent, leading the gains. Uh, FTSE 100 here in the UK up about nine-tenths of a percent. The Swiss market lagging a little bit, but still performing quite well, we are seeing particularly strong demand for cyclical sectors. So things like autos, oil and gas, travel and leisure, payments companies, all performing particularly well this morning. Two stocks I would highlight for you that are in focus for investors. Barclays in the banking sector. Barclays shares are under pressure after an unnamed investor, a major investor, offloaded an approximate 3% stake in the British lender. This after the bank announced it is set to take a 450 million pound hit from overselling structured products in the U.S. Barclays said on Monday that it would have to buy back the securities in question at their original purchasing price. And Barclays shares are down about 3.8 percent. In the auto space, Volkswagen's largest shareholder, Porsche, has given the green light for the German automaker to list its luxury sports car group by the same name. Now, this plan was initially proposed by Volkswagen back in February. However, no final decision has been made. And as you can see here, positive reaction in both Volkswagen and Porsche's shares. Brian, back over to you. All right, big auto news there, Juliana. Thank you very much. So let's stay right there and stick with the markets and your money and welcome in Sean Snyder, the head of investment strategy at Citigroup U.S. Wealth Management. Sean, it's great to have you back on. A lot to discuss. Let's start with the macro. Who knows what's going to happen at these peace talks in Turkey? Let's hope for the best possible outcome. Uh, the war at some point will likely end or I guess maybe drag on. But let's say we get an ending to the war, hopefully very soon. What happens to markets? Have you guys done any analysis on this? Do stocks rally, bonds sell off, oil falls, or does the market continue to roll on as long as the sanctions are there? What do you think? Listen, I think it would be clearly welcomed by financial markets. I think it would be a, you know great news. Um, I'm not exactly sure that sanctions immediately come off. Come off. So um, to the extent that it still feeds through to inflation, I, I think that's going to um, continue to happen, and you're probably going to see higher inflation prints for the next. You know, a couple of months as a result of that, but I, I do think it at least allows us to um, kind of move on from it as far as you know the mindset um, as an investor. So I think it'd be cheered by markets. I think it'd be a good thing. But again, um, you know how much supply chains are still disrupted by it is the big question, um, and I think yeah. that's going to take a lot to clear. Yeah, maybe markets like wheat it does help, but others like oil that are still sanctioned it does not. So inflation, to your point, may remain hot. You probably heard me reference that slight, slight inversion of yields on the five-year Treasury and the 30-year Treasury. I know not as closely watched as the 210 or even the three-month T-bill, but it did happen. First time, Sean, since March of 2006. And when something happens for the first time in 16 years, it gets our attention. Does it matter to you? Absolutely, it matters. Uh, you know, the yield curve has a tremendous record of being a predictor of recession. Uh, it inverted, I think, May 2019, and we got a recession, you know, almost a year later. Now, it was related to COVID. It wasn't policy-induced, but it still got it right. Uh, so it matters a great deal. One thing I would point out to investors, though, and I think this is really worthwhile to know, is that even when it does invert, and if you do get a recession, it tends to take a while to form, you know, a year or two. So maybe, say we are headed towards a hard landing. I'm not sure that's the base case. I think odds are we, we probably aren't. 
Um, but then your possible timing would be March 2023, March 2024, somewhere in there. Uh, so we certainly have to pay attention to it. Uh, and it's not the only yeah. flash signal, right? There's a peak in consumer confidence that we saw. Uh, also kind of a peak in the number of small businesses saying that now's a good time to expand. Um, those are two potential signals as well. So it's not just the yield curve. Well, should we have confidence in the Fed, Sean? I mean, you referenced it about this so-called hard landing. Here's the reality. Your own research notes that, you know, in, in a number of the past inflationary cycles where core inflation was as high as it is now, which you got to go back really to the mid-70s and early 80s to find that, yeah, the Fed was successful, quote, in bringing down inflation, but only because the economy went into recession. Right. Yeah, so if the Fed actually does not have a terrible track record when it comes to soft landings. They've done it before. Uh, they did it in kind of the, the mid-1960s, uh, the early 1980s, and then kind of the early to mid-1990s. So it's possible, but inflation was lower then. Uh, and if you look at what happened during January 1977 and then kind of uh, through, I think, April 1980, uh, they had a really strong Fed tightening cycle. They raised interest rates by... Uh, 1,300 basis points to try and uh, combat inflation, and core inflation actually rose by 3% during that period. So the track record of, of beating inflation is not quite as good. Um, you know, just in yeah. nine of the last 11 Fed tightening cycles, core inflation rose through the cycle uh, and only fell when you actually had yeah. uh, a recession. If there's a silver lining, though, maybe global supply chains um, aren't as disrupted as we think, and maybe Inflation still proves transitory. I know you get criticized for saying that word, but um, it could be a tailwind of the Fed. Let's hope. Well, I'm not going to criticize you. I just don't know how long transitory means. I guess if you're a, a, a Greenland shark, transitory can mean 50 years. Who knows? <laughs> Sean Snyder, City Private Wealth. Have a, have a great day. Thanks for getting up early. Thank you very much. All right, we are just getting going on this Tuesday morning. And when we come back, an industry pioneer stepping aside. FedEx founder Fred Smith calling it quits. Plus, could an historic shift be in store for some big American cities? Just how long will New Yorkers and others stay away from the office? We'll talk about that coming up next. Stick around. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome or welcome back. Got some big news in the corporate world today. As FedEx says, its founder and CEO Fred Smith will step down as CEO on June 1st. 
and its president and chief operating officer will take the reins. Frank Collin joining us now with more on this big shift with Frank, arguably one of the longest tenured CEOs in American history. Yeah, you know, a legendary CEO, definitely one of the longest tenured. Uh, FedEx shares, they've improved more than 7,000% since Fred Smith first listed the company on the NYSC back in 1978, outperforming the S&P during that time. Smith first conceived FedEx while studying at Yale and later became a Marine that served in Vietnam. He founded the company in 1971, began his operations in Memphis in 1973, he is widely viewed as the innovator of time-definite delivery, a concept that's best captured by the company's slogan when it absolutely, positively has to be there overnight. They sold you this good, that time, guaranteed. Right. And that, that, that innovation, I think, was one of the enablers of you know, the last 30 years' worth of supply chain efficiency. I've spoken to several transport CEOs since the news broke and in the past about Smith's legacy. XPO founder and chairman Brad Jacobs really sums up the consensus opinion here. He said, Fred Smith has been the preeminent visionary in the transportation industry. New CEO Raj Subramanian has served 30 years of the company in various roles and most recently president and COO. Many analyst investors see him as a leader who may be more open to a few new ideas. Analysts really point to FedEx's forward PE right now, saying that it's trading at what a lot of people call a conglomerate discount. There are a lot of thoughts there may be a greater push to have FedEx's divisions work a lot more closely together. Right now, its e-commerce-focused ground unit is primarily focused, uh, is primarily run by contractors. Also, perhaps there could be some potential for spinoff of its freight division. A lot of rumors about that circulating. That division alone would be one of the largest truckers in the U.S. Brian? Uh, the guy is known for his efficiency. I mean, Frank, just a quick story. I, I encountered Mr. Smith, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago at a conference, and I heard somebody right. complaining about the cost of a sweatshirt at the gift shop at the hotel where the conference was, literally like sort of arguing about the cost with his family, and it was Fred Smith. And they were like, I was like, literally like, Mr. <laughs> Smith, you're a billionaire, and you're arguing over a $39 sweater. With, you know, not arguing, but he was kind of joking with his family, like, that's awfully expensive, whatever it costs. And I thought... This sort of exemplifies him, the fact that he's, you know, kind of complaining about the cost of this sweatshirt when he's running a FedEx. But that's that's how he got it done. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, Brian. I mean, I've heard a lot of stories about him myself. Some I can talk about on TV, some I can't. But definitely most people see him as a bit of a visionary <laughs> and a renaissance man. He was a Marine. He was also an Ivy Leaguer. Um, a lot, one of the most popular stories that he told and was in another one of his uh, colleagues' memoir he took the company's last $5,000 to Vegas because he needed some money to pay off a fuel bill and some other bills, went to the, I believe it was the roulette table, put it down, and won $27,000. It allowed him to actually keep FedEx in operation. If that just kind of captures, you know, it's, it might be an overused term, what kind of maverick what? this kind of guy was. He must have thrown it all on Supposedly zero a true story. Zero. I've heard I mean, many that- people tell it. If you're going to take your last five grand and put it on, it's got to be zero or double zero to return or some kind of a combo bet to return that kind of money. Uh, that's bold. Let's just call it that, Frank, right? I'm, I'm not saying it was bold. one bet, though, Brian. I'm, it might have been a series of bets. I've just heard the oh. story. That he just bet it. He went to Vegas and bet it all. <laughs> Either way, it paid off. Uh, unbelievable guy and yeah. a big change in the corporate world. Frank Holland, appreciate it. Thank you. See you soon. All right, still on deck here. The Oscars assault saga continues today despite an apology, and now the Academy 
is warning of more consequences. Today's big number, $181 million. That's how much federal, state, and local gas tax was collected each day in 2021 on average, according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration. Roughly 49 cents of every gallon goes to gas tax. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. All right, welcome back. Well, as you all know, restaurants, basketball games, airports, bars, other places may be more packed now than even before the lockdowns. But in many big cities, one thing still looks very different. Office buildings. In cities like New York, Chicago, and San Francisco, many still remain nearly empty. And now some are warning that the stalled return to office recovery could be reshaping American cities for years to come. Joining us now is Castle Systems Chairman Mark Ein. He is the head of the largest managed commercial real estate security provider in America. They've got direct data from their customers in more than 2,600 buildings in 138 U.S. cities. So probably the best authority on this, Mark. It's good to have you on. I was just in Midtown Manhattan the other day. I'm not going to lie. It was pretty grim from an office building perspective aspect. What are the numbers you are seeing in some of America's major cities? Yeah, so thanks for having me this morning. So we've been tracking uh, the utilization of office space since the pandemic started. And right now, uh, people are back at about 40% of pre-pandemic levels. And as you said, that compares to pretty much 100% or more for restaurants and movie theaters and uh, and airports and things like that. Um, the good news is it has been ticking up. 40% is pretty much equal to the third highest point we've been at since the beginning of the pandemic. And we do see it creeping up here since uh, since the latest COVID surge has passed. And so there is some hope that it's going to continue to increase as we get closer to the summer. Yeah, but I wonder, Mark, you know, just as we're starting to come out of the pandemic, hopefully, I mean, I know a lot of people are making a lot about these new strains, whatever, but as we're coming out of the pandemic, we're looking at gas prices. And I thought, my gosh, if you're an employer who demands your employee come back to work, they're going to get whacked in, in commuting costs even higher because of gas prices. You think that is also a factor in holding certain people coming back to the office? Yeah, I mean, that that is another headwind that now has emerged. Uh, on the other hand, I do think business leaders are really eager to get their people back to the office. 
It's now been two years. The connective tissue that we all had from working together over many years is frayed. And I think business leaders feel a huge need to get people back. And in fact, a lot of people want to get back. And so there is momentum to start to get people back in the office. And the hope is that once they're back and they recognize the power of being together in person, that that will accelerate um, and that the numbers will continue to grow. Can you talk to us about the various and I don't want to get into the politics of it. And I said lockdowns, not pandemic, Mark, because the whole country suffered a lot a pandemic. But the reality is this various places handled it very differently. And again, you can get into the political rabbit hole about this or that. I do not want to do that. I just want to look at the facts and the data. But I know from extensive traveling myself that how things look in Houston or Miami or other places is very different than how they look in New York or Chicago. Does the data back that up? Again, not a political comment, but the reality is certain cities handled it very differently. And I've been to places where you would not even know there was a pandemic last year. Yeah, no. In fact, the data does bear out, Brian, what you said. There have been regional differences in the return of the office since the very beginning, with which, as you mentioned, the Texas markets have consistently been above the national average. They're over 50 percent. And other cities have been meaningfully lower, including Northern California. And for a long time, New York, although New York is now closer to the national average. And we do think there's a lot of reasons for it. Community mindset towards returning to normal activity is clearly one of them, but so is industry composition, use of public transportation. And there's really a lot of factors that we believe have gone into the regional differences that have been consistent in people going back to the office. Well, you know, I know a lot of people watching this or sitting at home watching Worldwide Exchange nice and early in the morning and saying, yeah, I don't want to get back on New Jersey Transit. I get that. But these cities are also going to have to figure something out if people don't, Mark, because uh, it's you're looking at, what, 25, 30 percent empty retail space on many blocks in midtown Manhattan. It's pretty tough to see. Mark Ein of Castle Systems, do appreciate you coming on with the facts, with the data, Mark. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks for having me. All right, right now, let's get a check on some of this morning's other key headlines, including the latest on the Oscars assault saga. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York now with that and more. Francis, we did get an apology. Yes, we did. We'll get to that in a second and tell you all about it, Brian. Uh, but we start with overnight. The January 6th committee voted unanimously in favor of recommending criminal contempt charges. The former Trump aides Peter Navarro and Dan Scavino both have cited executive privilege as their reason for not cooperating. In a statement after the vote, Navarro continued to claim executive privilege. A lawyer for Scavino did not immediately respond to a request for comment. The full House will now vote on whether to send the contempt recommendations to the Justice Department. Two sources told NBC News that the committee is leaning toward calling Jenny Thomas, wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, in for an interview. But after a closed session overnight, Congressman Benny Thompson said the panel had not yet reached a decision on Thomas. Meanwhile, three sources tell NBC News Jared Kushner, the former president's son-in-law and one of his top advisors, is scheduled to appear before the select committee on Thursday. Now over to Hoops, where the women's Final Four is set after a pair of close Elite Eight matchups. Haley Van Lith put in work for Louisville, leading the Cardinals with 22 points. Michigan pulled within two to start the fourth, but were held scoreless for the last five and a half minutes. Louisville wins 62 to 50 and a double overtime thriller to punch the last ticket to Minneapolis. Four seconds left. Perez floats it. Brown Turner for the tie. Got it to go. 
So Jakia Brown Turner kept NC State alive in a second overtime, but it was the Huskies who got the best of the Wolf Pack in the extra frame. UConn advances with a 91-87 win. And the Huskies march into their 14th straight Final Four as they try to chop down the defending national champions in Stanford. Okay, now to that fallout. More of it from Sunday night's Oscars Slapgate. Backlash has been swift from that physical altercation between Oscar-winning actor Will Smith and comedian Chris Rock, which upended the 94th Academy Awards. On Monday, Hollywood and the public reacted to Smith slapping Rock on stage after Rock began his monologue and made a joke about Smith's wife's hair, despite Jada Pinkett Smith's public struggles with alopecia and hair loss. So Smith has broken his silence on, on the incident, writing on Instagram, violence in all of its forms is poisonous and destructive. My behavior at last night's Academy Awards was unacceptable and inexcusable. I would like to publicly apologize to you, Chris. I was out of line and I was wrong. The Academy also released a statement saying in part it condemns the actions of Mr. Smith, adding they have officially started a formal review around the incident and we will explore further actions and consequences. Brian, here's the thing, though. Chris Rock, he's going on tour. I think his minimum tickets were like at 400. Now they've up to 300. So guess what Chris is doing? I'm sure he has got all the material and I would be shocked if he doesn't include some of this Oscar drama and some of that when he's on tour. Well, he's got to. I mean, listen, and kudos to him. I mean, he obviously was stunned, shocked. Uh, he'd been just assaulted. I mean, hit in the face hard by a guy who's much larger than he was. And he handled it like a champ and, and kept going as well. Truly a bizarre yeah. Bizarre moment. Francis, thank to hear you from very Jada. much. We haven't heard from Jada yet. So is she going to keep quiet yeah, at this point? There might be. I think there's a lot more that we have to hear from, from many different angles on this story. I'll just leave it there. Francis Rivera, thank you. Sure thing. What a night. All right, straight ahead. As power bills rise around the world, there's a real threat that millions could go hungry just trying to keep the heat on. We'll talk more about the rising risks of energy poverty both overseas and even here at home coming up. Stock futures, they're higher, oil ticking back up. We're glad you're up and we're back right after this. Markets looking to keep the momentum going with technology stocks leading the way, but bonds back in focus as treasuries flash a potential warning sign ahead. Ukraine and Russia coming back to the bargaining table, trying to end Vladimir Putin's war. This as Ukrainian forces regain key ground. Russia's invasion appears to stall even more. We are live on the ground with more. And big tech under fire as the Biden administration throwing its weight behind a bill, looking to crack down on some of the sector's biggest players. It is Tuesday, March 29th, and this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and good Tuesday morning. Thanks for joining us. It's about 5.30 on a really, really cold morning here in New Jersey. All right, here's how your money in the markets are setting up their Tuesday futures right now. They're a lot hotter than the weather are, that's for sure, although pretty much anything is at this point. It's like 21 degrees, almost in April. Ugh, I'm ready for the CNBC Miami Bureau. Anyway, we are seeing Dow futures up about three-tenths of 1%. All the market averages are higher right now. Europe and most of Asia also rising as well. Some do hope that there could soon be an end to the war in Ukraine. We'll get more on that in a moment. Something potentially very important just happened in bonds. 
the yield on the five-year note briefly ticking above that of the 30-year bond. That is the first time that has happened, a so-called inversion, at least on fives and thirties, since March of 2006, 16 years ago. And while it's not looked at or as important as a potential recession indicator is, say, the 210 spread, it is something to keep an eye on. What about crypto? It's had a heck of a run lately. Bitcoin back to its basically its highs of the year. It is not continuing that momentum this morning, but still, it's been a very nice run for almost all the major coins. Bitcoin and the others are slightly flat to maybe lower today. All right, now to some of this morning's key headlines happening now, including the Biden administration throwing its support behind a bill targeting big tech. Frank is back with that and more. Frank, good morning. Hey, good morning again, Brian. The Department of Justice reportedly endorsing an antitrust bill that targets companies including Amazon, Apple, and Google. According to the Wall Street Journal, in a letter to leaders on the Senate Judiciary Committee, the DOJ says the rise of these dominant platforms presents a threat to open markets and competition. The journal says the endorsement marks the Biden administration's first full support for the measure. The bill prohibits large digital platforms from favoring their own products and services over competitors. Amazon, Google, and Apple, along with some others, have expressed opposition to that legislation, saying it would make it harder to offer popular services. The SEC charging three software engineers at Twilio over their role in an insider trading scheme. The agency charging several of the engineers' friends and family members as well. The SEC says between March and May of 2020, those employees access financial information from the company's databases and then share that information with others who then exec- executed trades before Twilio announced its quarterly results. And Dairy Queen is beefing up its burger offerings. The fast food chain, which has been owned by Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway for 25 years, is rolling out five new burger flavors in the U.S. as part of its Stack Burger line. It's its biggest menu expansion in two decades. And shares of Dave & Buster's are sliding in the pre-market, the drop coming after the restaurant chain's fourth quarter results missed the street's expectations. The company's chairman and interim CEO, Kevin Sheehan, saying that despite continuing headwinds from COVID, including vaccine requirements in certain markets, the company saw strong sales across stores in fiscal 2021. That's the latest. Brian, back over to you. All right, Frank Collins. Frank, we'll see you in a bit. Thank you very much. All right, now let's get more into the conflict in Ukraine. This morning, Russian and Ukrainian officials are meeting in Turkey for another round of peace talks. However, one Ukrainian reporter saying the talks did not begin with a handshake. Attendees of note include the Turkish president Erdogan, as well as Russian oligarch Robin Abramovich, who's been crucial in setting up these talks. You can see him sitting here with delegates on the sidelines. Today's talks come as Ukrainian troops continue to hold back Russian forces outside of Kiev. They also follow President Biden's comments yesterday, standing by his statement that Russian President Vladimir Putin does not deserve to be in power, which contradicts what his own White House said following his controversial comments in Poland over the weekend. Let's send it now to NBC's Gabe Gutierrez, who is in Lviv, Ukraine, with more on where we stand this morning. Gabe. Brian, good morning. Unclear if we'll see any major breakthrough from these peace talks. But several days ago, the Turkish president seemed to signal that there was some agreement on a few topics between the Ukrainians and the Russian, including an agreement not to join NATO and agreement on adopting Russia as an official language here in Ukraine. But there are still many 
uh, sticking points, including territorial sovereignty and whether Ukraine would ever agree to carve up part of its country and allow Russia to keep the Donbass region or some of the other areas where the most intense fighting is underway right now. As you mentioned, Brian, intense fighting in and around Kyiv. The mayor of a suburb, Irpin, says that Ukrainian forces have been able to push back Russian forces in that area, but still places in the northeast, Kharkiv, for example, and in the south of Mariupol, where local officials say a humanitarian catastrophe is underway. More than 160,000 residents still in that area. But today we did get word that a humanitarian corridor is being allowed into the city to evacuate some of those desperate residents there in the southeast part of the country, Brian. Gabe, thank you. And also, this is a bit scary, I know, but we heard that some missiles were shot down near your location. Lviv has been kind of a bastion of safety so far, but it feels like things are creeping up even on uh, the city of Lviv where you are, the western part of the nation. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, Brian. Uh, long considered a safe haven for refugees. Uh, Lviv has seen some airstrikes over the last couple of days, of course, on Saturday uh, during uh, President Biden's visit to neighboring Poland. But just within the last few hours, we have heard from the governor uh, of the Lviv region that three missiles were shot down by air defense systems in this area. No one hurt uh, and uh, unclear exactly what the targets may have been. But we do know that Russia has been targeting fuel depots across the country in the last several days. But again, the news in the last several hours, local officials say three Russian missiles were shot down in the Lviv region. Brian? Well, Gabe Gutierrez, think about you and your crew there on the ground. Be safe first and foremost. We are glad you're there. Gabe, thank you. All right, coming up here in Worldwide Exchange, your morning RBI and why a major real estate trend is also a big deal for energy, where so many of you are moving right now. And speaking of homes and energy, we continue our series on the growing energy crisis in the UK and much of Europe. As more families set to make the difficult choice between either feeding their families or heating their homes. Worldwide Exchange is back with that in a moment. All right, welcome back. Let's stay now on a story that we first brought to you from London back in early November. A scary surge in what is called energy poverty. The idea that power costs rising and power bills becoming less and less affordable for millions of families across England and millions more in Europe. Last year, more than 4 million British families may have had to choose at some time between either feeding their families or heating their homes in winter. Many could not simply afford to do both. And as our reporting warned about last year, it's about to get worse. As of April 1st, utility bills could rise by more than 50%. In the UK, power regulators allow price increases twice per year. And as bad as that is, they could go even higher again at the next reset in October. It is a huge economic and humanitarian story. And let's welcome in Matthew Copeland. He is head of public policy at National Energy Action in the UK. Uh, Matthew, welcome. It's not a story that we, we find any pleasure reporting on. We talked about it from London uh, back in November. Then they got that huge potential increase coming through. What's going to happen on April 1st, just days from now? Yeah, so on Friday, um, our energy regulator will allow energy prices to, to, to be increased by a substantial amount, uh, up to £2,000 a year on average. Um, and... What that means is about 57% increase um, in the average household's energy bill. Um, 
Uh, now, now, Matthew, great, can I jump in for a second? Because I want to your system there is very different from our system here in the United States. People are here. A lot of are on fixed rate plans or floating rate or they adjust monthly, whatever it may be. You've got these biannual adjustments that's allowed. Does it necessarily mean the bills will go up by that much? I got to imagine utilities are going to take every price increase they can. Yeah, I think at the moment, um, with the, the stress of high wholesale gas prices, uh, the utilities are very likely to be pricing uh, around that cap. Some might price just underneath it, but we're expecting pretty much all tariffs to be at that, at that level, £2,000 on average um, per year. Um, so that will bring about 2 million more households into fuel poverty. And what we mean by fuel poverty there is spending more than 10% um, of household income on energy costs once household costs, once housing costs are taken away. So once rent, for example, is taken off. So that's a really significant increase in the number of households that, that we expect to be um, really struggling to pay their energy bills. And the impact of that is either they fall into debt with their utility or they go without heating. Uh, and both of those things are incredibly worrying. Yeah. And, the you know, there's been some rightly, by the way, widely ridiculed PR campaigns by utilities. Oh, just wear a sweater, snuggle up, have cereal for dinner. These are real things that are happening in one of the most forward thinking, progressive nations in the world, Matthew. But when you look at what has occurred, there's no sign of this easing anytime soon. In fact, as I referenced, the potential for another increase in October. I mean, where does the blame fall here? Yeah, it's really scary. So so we're looking at increases in October as well. Some people have been saying it could be an extra £1,000, an extra 50% increase. Hopefully, with wholesale gas markets wow. relaxing a bit in the last few weeks, that could come down a little bit. Um, but... The, I, I don't think we can blame utilities for the high prices. It, it is a factor of our external market environment at the moment, but government could do more to help households. So what our government has done so far is given a £150 tax rebate to 80% of households, to almost everyone. It's also going to give all households £200 off their energy bill this winter coming, but they've got to pay it back on their energy bill for the subsequent five um, years when energy prices could remain high. Um, and that's just not going to cut it for, for the lowest income house, households who are really struggling already, um, who are going to struggle further with £700 or more extra on their energy bill. So £150 wow. and then a £200 loan is, is nowhere near commensurate with the, the problem that we're facing. Nope. No, it is not. I mean, I want to think about our U.S. audience with their bills maybe going up, you know, a 1500 U.S. dollars and then the government giving you 150 back. Matthew Copeland of the NEA, thank you very much. We appreciate your time on that important story. And folks, just a reminder, we're focusing on the U.K. and Europe because they are in a bad spot. We're lucky to live here, but it's not impossible something similar like that could happen around parts of America. Wholesale electricity costs rose 249% in New England in January over January of last year. The February numbers just came out yesterday, and they showed a 52% jump from the previous February. That is here in the United States in New England. Much of that is going to be passed along to you, the consumer, as well as industrial customers, maybe also making it harder for millions of Americans to pay their utility bills. Certainly scary times as the weather gets very cold again this week.
your bills, if they haven't gone up already, are likely to soar ahead. Sorry to be the bearer of that news. All right, on deck. Our friend Carrie Firestone is here with why she is turning her back on a group of stocks that everybody else seems to love right now. And a friendly reminder, be sure to sign up for CNBC's Healthy Returns Summit. It is tomorrow, so there's not much time. It features the CEOs of Walgreens, J&J, United Healthcare, and some actionable insight from investors. You can register now at cnbcevents.com. We'll be right back. It is time now for your morning RBI, and today's most random but interesting nugget has to do with two huge topics right now, real estate and energy, because they are related, probably a lot more than you think. Here's why. The U.S. Census Bureau just updated the latest data on pandemic moving trends, where people went from July of 2020 to July of last year, and the areas with the biggest jumps in population. See if you can spot a common theme, and I know you can. The metro area with the biggest increase in population was Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas, adding about 97,000 people over COVID's first year. That is followed by Phoenix, Houston, and Austin. Another Texas city, San Antonio, also made the list, with one city in California, Riverside, as well as Georgia, Florida, and North Carolina cities also making the most moved-to list. So what does that have to do with energy? Well, probably a lot longer term in particular, because most of these metro areas are, you guessed it, really hot in the summer. The kind of places where you're going to crank the air conditioning all day long. In fact, probably all 10 of these places have the windows closed and the AC blasting three to six months a year. And that is going to use, my friends, a lot of electricity. In fact, air conditioners use about 6% of all the electricity produced in America. So with everybody moving to areas where you crank the cooling all the time, what do you think is going to happen to energy demand in this country? It is going to go up, up, up as you turn that thermostat down. So as we argue with, about, with each other about what kinds of power we're going to use to make electricity, whether it's solar, wind, natural gas, nuclear, whatever, the correct answer is yes, all the above. We're going to need it all, especially if everybody keeps moving to where it's hot, you better start cranking up production of solar panels about as fast as we are cranking the air conditioning. Random, but interesting. All right, let's get now back to the markets. And stocks are going to add to yesterday's gain despite some ah, warning signs for the bond market. In fact, the NASDAQ is just three trading days away from snapping a two-month losing streak. Joining us now is Kerry Firestone, chairman and CEO of Aureus Asset Management, CBC contributor, She's been snapping up some of these beaten down tech names. It's been a good call, Kerry. But we talked about that 530-year inversion. Does that worry you? Yeah, well, you know, Brian, this has been a very unusual couple of years. And we had the NASDAQ drop 23%, the S&P drop 13%. So I, I feel as if certain rules, we just sort of, throw them out and and adjust to what we're seeing in front of us, which is some cheap stocks, stocks that have been decimated. We saw 
mutual funds, hedge funds, institutional investors, individual investors just sort of discard everything that they had bought over the last couple of years until they're trading at a point where some of them sell at multiples we haven't seen in a decade. You know, if I look at PayPal example, I understand stock was overvalued. It was trading at more than 50 times earnings. Now it's 17 times next year's earnings. Stocks like Fidelity National, Adobe, O'Reilly Auto, Twilio. Now that that company doesn't earn anything, but it has a phenomenal potential market for communications that are digital from your airline, from a train station, from your hair salon, from a restaurant. You get notifications. So I, I think that we have to consider what the prices are today and what seems attractive to us. Well, I guess, Carrie, I guess prices are the, and valuations are the only thing that did change because, you know, Adobe and PayPal, they didn't drop because the war in Ukraine, a war we all want to be over yesterday. We understand that, but they have nothing to do with that conflict. They may have a slight bit to do with inflation, but more importantly, it's just about the Federal Reserve raising rates, which naturally brings down the valuations of these high value tech companies. I'm trying to understand what has changed in the sentiment in like two weeks yeah, well, two weeks ago, we got to what I would call uh, capitulation in some names. All, all you could hear on CNBC or other networks that talked about the market is that the sky is falling and things are going to just keep cratering. It, it was similar to what was going on in March of 2020 before we realized how bad COVID was going to be, but the market had fallen 37%. And everyone said, it's never going to turn around for a long time. And this was not the same, obviously. But, you know, market drops that substantially. Then you have to look at what what's littered around you. What can we pick up that's been discarded and say, gee, you know, a company like PayPal, this has an enormous marketplace. Venmo, whoever Venmoed before, and now everybody... Everybody, tens of millions of people do. And you, you, you recognize that a war, yes, has it just monumental uh, effects on humanitarian, social, and the economies of U- Ukraine and Russia. But those relative to the world are not significant enough to justify 60, 70 percent drops in stock prices. And that's what we saw. And that's what investors need to do. Look yeah. at the price. Look at what the earnings potential is and make their decisions. Fair enough. And I also, carry blame the media, dagnabbit. Uh, but am I, am I to understand <laughs> that you are not a lover of oil and gas stocks anymore, or at least right now, because everybody else sure seems to be? Yeah, well, well, I think that a lot of money has been made in energy, and that's been a great place to be. But if you looked today, and that's what you have to do every day and say, would I buy these stocks today with new cash? And I, I think the answer is more no than yes. They've, they were up 50 percent last year. They're up tremendously this year. Some stocks have doubled this year uh, on, in the energy sector. And, you know, is thing, are things going to continue to get better? Is oil going to go to $200 a barrel? I mean, it has been now trading back and forth for the last few weeks. It's not a straight line up. Yes, you just made the point that there's more demand for energy, but the stocks have reflected it. This is a discounting mechanism that we all deal with. And a lot reflects in the price based on what we we see over the next six months. So, no, we wouldn't be buying them here today. 
Well, the idea basically is to buy lower and sell higher, and that's why you're picking up maybe some stocks like an Adobe, like a PayPal, maybe like a Fiserv as well, and the oil and gas side too. I mean, everybody, everybody seems to love them. Uh, Kerry, what's the next most important piece of economic data you're going to be looking at? Because we've got two, two tails. Consumer confidence is out today. It's the real first number we're going to see with high inflation. Yeah, well, I, I would think that confidence has probably come down some, both because of inflation and the war in Ukraine. Mortgage rates are up. But in an environment of a lot of change, which is what we're seeing, yep. you can have confidence run very, very high. And, and that, I think, wasn't a good sign. So I, I think inflation and then we're going to see earnings. And over the next few weeks, we're going to start to see what what companies say for the next quarter or two. Yep. Going to start critical. to see what's what, as they say. <laughs> Kerry Firestone uh, up there in New England. Good luck with that power bill. Kerry Firestone, thank you very much. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide <laughs> Exchange, you. folks. Thanks for being with us as usual or listening to the podcast. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.